G'day everyone, Pete Techman Coman here for another exciting episode of The Tech Effect. And as always, my virtual friend, my partner in crime, Mark, the bearded tech skier. And welcome, Mark. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. How are you, mate? I'm very well. Yourself? The, virtual friend. It's kind of almost yeah. like I'm not really a friend, but well, that's virtually well, a true, friend. true, right? Yeah. Virtually a friend. <laughs> So like nearly a friend. So far. I'm close. To, <laughs> I'm close to getting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah you'll, you'll get there. Just keep uh, away. Pete, uh, I'm going to I'm going to kick straight in. We have got we have Who've got we got? a guest on today's show. Uh, and I'm gonna guest. A special guest. Yeah, it's going to be a good show today. So yes. I'm going to introduce today Brooke Jamison, um, experienced lead at PlaceOS. Brooke, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Greetings from Brisbane. It's great, and it's great to have you in. Yeah, greetings from uh, freezing cold Toowoomba and whatever else is happening in New York. Exactly. <laughs> we're a global, we're a global uh, podcast. Global podcast, global audience. We're, yep. We're people, people. <laughs> That's right. Pete, um, look, I've got to point out, um, there's, a, there's a bit of shadow above your lip there today, mate. What's, um, are you trying to be the... The next bit of tech, or what's I am, I am. Look, you know, you inspire me in so many ways, and uh, you know, so uh, this is about six months worth. So uh, I'm getting there. So maybe in the next three or four years, I, I'll have something similar to you. Yeah, yeah. Keep trying, buddy. Yeah. Uh, All right, not everyone can do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get on. Enough of the banter. Um, yes, Brooke. I wanted to start initially just to uh, get an understanding of who PlaceOS is and you, the experience lead, it's an interesting, um, an interesting job title. So just give us a bit of a rundown and an overview of what that is. Sure. So PlaceOS is a global smart building and smart workplace platform. Uh, we create digital experiences for physical spaces, essentially by herding cats in a way. There's lots of technology within the built environment, as I'm sure you know, that works in silos on its own. So what we do is we can pull all that down to a central place with APIs and things like that. And then we can build digital experiences with things like automation on top of that. Um, so my role, I'm experience lead. For some context, I have formal training in mathematics and that's what I studied at university. And then since then, I've got lots of professional experience in things like marketing and consumer behavior and behavioral science. So what I do is I pull all of that together and I do really functional-based functional UX in its pure form to help people get the most out of the data in their smart buildings. Wow. Right. Well, I, I noticed that you were studying uh, a master's of mathematics in financial or financial mathematics. Is that right? And, yeah, I started uh, my master's in financial mathematics. Wow. Mark, was, we, yeah. what is that? <laughs> <laughs> She's um, way too smart for us, Mark. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Time to get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great having uh, you, Brooke. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to drink coffee and you, you yeah. keep talking, Brooke. <laughs> and I'm currently doing my graduate certificate in data engineering at ANU in Canberra as well. So, oh my gosh, just a uh, hobby. We are totally out of our depth, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you, Pete. Oh, no. here we go. <laughs> I definitely am. <laughs> and I noticed, like, you you got a background, like you worked for um, Connected Vision and Video Pro as well up there in Brisbane. And I noticed that uh, at, at uh, you're a data scientist at Connected Vision and a data analyst at Video Pro. Um, it depended on what they wrote on tender applications, <laughs> right. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds yeah, right. very important. But, right. but PlaceOS, 
taking all the good information and uh, working on how to communicate that to the audience. On Right. And before then, I worked at an e-commerce company that I built from quite a small company to quite a large company through applying data science and analytics to web optimization and conversion optimization for e-commerce as well. So. Yep. Um, yeah, that all it all does tie through. I know my, I have a very bizarre resume. I always feel weird when I have to send it to people because it's. I feel like it needs a strong caveat. I promise it does make sense in practice. It just looks very strange on paper. <laughs> sure, it does. And and I, I've been working closely uh, with Jonathan um, and the team uh, on a project or a couple of opportunities over here in New York and. And we're really sort of getting into the weeds of what Place OS does and the benefits that it can bring to the clients. And it's 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 amazing, right? Like, and, and it's yeah. just, um, it, it's, it seems like there is not many, if any, uh, other platforms that are capable of doing what Place OS can do. I think because we tackle the problem in a different way, yeah. um, instead of thinking about what we want the user interface to look like or sure. what we want something to look like in the end, thinking about what does it actually functionally do and how can we make that as efficient as possible? So that's a lot of what my role is. But yeah, in regards to the opportunities in America specifically, I think it's really good to be getting some clients on board who are open to really exploring the full breadth of PlaceOS because yeah. we do a lot of projects that maybe only have a few features within them. And maybe yeah. like together the projects will sort of map out quite widely, but it's really exciting for some of the opportunities in America where they're really going for it and really buying into the start to finish idea within a, within a building for the users. And I think that's going to be really yeah. good when it comes to fruition. Well, like, like you said before, though, a lot of these technologies or systems are, are all designed in silos. And then not only are they designed in silos, but they're installed and programmed and configured all in silos. So there is, there is very, very little integration that actually goes on. So we all talk about smart buildings, but really they're not that smart if, they're not, if these systems aren't talking to each other, right? 100%. And I think it comes back to, I always talk about what people thought the future would be like. You know, people thought there would be flying cars and things like that. But in reality, it's just better that it works. The idea of yep. Uber isn't that exciting. It's just that it works and it's there when yes. you need it. And that's what's really exciting about it when you're actually using it. Yep. Um, so I think it's more of applying that sort of thought process rather than thinking we'll have flying cars and robots coming around everywhere. Yeah. No, it, it, it's a fair call. As I said, like we, we build a lot of buildings and uh, it's just a shame that I think the process, uh, I've always said that I think the process is very flawed as, as in the way it's designed and, and then uh, it's actually tended out and built and, and so on. And I think we need to change that process. And I think uh, a company like Place OS is going to help people sort of open their eyes to what we can actually do and, and how smart we can make a building. Yeah, and even the way I um, attack analytics within a building really helps people to understand what they actually want out of the space. Um, I'm talking yeah. at the Integrate Virtual Speaker Series about this more this week, about why That's dashboards suck. Yes. Um, so it's called, but getting it's called through, Why Dashboards Suck. I think it's just called Dashboards Suck. Really went okay. for a short title right. on that one. Gotcha. <laughs> um, Very catchy. Yeah, but it's yeah. more about uh, the value of insights rather than dashboards because a dashboard... Gotcha is just talking at users a lot of the time. But when I explain yes. my job to people not in tech or not in AV, I say I talk with people to find the questions and I talk with data to yep. find the answers. And the concept of talking with people to find the questions often helps them to really unpack what they want out of a smart building or a smart workplace. Okay. Um, maybe they would like to know how many, which department has the most ghost meetings. So when a mm -hmm. meeting when the room is booked and no one's in there. So then they can help those people 
to work it out. Or maybe some meeting rooms take a really long time to get the AV started because we can see what time the booking started yeah. and then what time people came in the room and then what time the AV system actually started for the call. And when you multiply that out across the people's time in the meeting and then across the yearly organization cost of that, it's really expensive. So when you look at things about how you can actually use data to improve people's experience, when you go down to the question level of what you actually wanted to know, it helps to really get in the mindset of tying systems together to get the efficiencies from that. And it helps people make better decisions, not just organizations, but architects and designers to make better decisions of how these spaces are going to, what they're going to look like moving forward and what's required. Yeah, definitely. I have an article on my LinkedIn about being data driven and not data derailed. And overall, yeah. it's just about if you're saying you're doing data driven decision making to actually make a decision. I think a lot of people <laughs> miss that step in the process because um, it's sort of I talk about it like a hoarder with a garage and they just want to put all the data in it and they just want to have the data. They don't want to look at it or do anything with it. They just need to have it. Um, but if you're actually using it to make decisions, that's when you get some really good results as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really important. To, uh, it's understanding that strategy at the start. Well, it's putting focus on that strategy at the start and taking that information isn't actually building something that's, uh, that's relevant rather than just some ad hoc. Let's put a, uh, let's put a meeting room in here. Yeah. And actually Why? making something <laughs> for the user, not what you wanted to sell them. I think that's very different as well. And that's what I see a lot of in other systems. It's more about, oh, yeah. what did we want to sell this person rather than what will give the users the best experience? Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately at the moment, a lot of the time uh, they do a clipboard study where they, someone stands in the room and sort of counts people and the rooms that are being used and, and that kind of thing. And it's like, wow, that, there's got to be a better way to collect this data than someone standing there with a clipboard. Is that really yeah. how they do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's they, wow. they, honestly, yeah, yeah. I mean, how else are you going to collect it? But they'll quite often, like um, architecture firms are responsible, you know, for these projects. So they'll send someone into the existing space and just watch and just take notes and, and so on. And, and it's, a, it's a very small point in time. They're, they're capturing data like over like a one week period, maybe, rather than if you had these systems in place, you could actually collect it over a longer period and get more accurate information. Right. And it's not that I think humans shouldn't be involved in that process, mm. because I think they're a really important part. My biggest mm. gripe is that humans shouldn't be doing repetitive data collecting work yeah. when they have the opportunity to be talking with people and really understanding what their journey is like and what their priorities are. And then using yeah. data around that. It just is like still have people as part of the process, but empower them with data to help do their jobs better. Yeah, it's got a real uh, anthropology. In it. Um, sort of spin on it There's in, in the understanding the way people operate and their culture and, and is there a crossover there for you Brooke? Yeah that's one of my topics I really like to research outside of work <laughs> as well. Yeah. I yeah. guess it started as people watching and then just extended from there um, but one of my favorite books I actually mentioned this in my talk this week um, is a Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell and it sort of tracks uh, different types of folklore from different countries over time and how cultures have created stories and how people remember stories from that. Um, it's entirely not technical and not relevant to this at all, but it's a great book yeah. and I really enjoyed <laughs> it. And it sort of comes back to how I feel about data communication and user experience as well. There you go. I knew, I knew listening to my wife, uh, who's studying anthropology at the moment, was um, at, at some point was going to come <laughs> in handy. <laughs> Beck, if you're listening, good on you. <laughs> <laughs> you should clarify that that was not the only time that was in handy. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like. 
<laughs> I listen intently. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but it's so true. Like, you know, like when we're, when we're trying to design and build a space, I mean, there's so many different factors these days. I mean, we've, uh, we've got age, uh, we've got um, different personality types, we've got different activity types. We're trying to cater for so many different things. And, and as I said, I mean, we're, typically the people who are designing the space don't actually have that data to, uh, at hand. Yeah, we don't know. It's, it's sort of like a best guess. Right. And even within the context of catering to something like you were talking about, I think a really big shift here, and this is something I talk about more broadly at women in tech events, is the idea of running from something versus running to something. So right. yep. a lot of workplaces just said, oh, we don't want to be called sexist. We're going to run away from being called sexist. And then they just wanted to check the, like, check the box and say that they'd catered to it rather than saying, yeah. oh, what do we actually want to run towards? We want to have a really inclusive workplace where people are excited to come to work and people are excited to work for us. And then all of the things about how you actually attack that process rather than just running away from something scared, I think it open up some, opens up a more broad conversation, yeah. um, which ties into the other user experience things we're talking about within a building. Is it saying, oh, we just want to run away from having no tech in a building. We want to do tech. Let's have a checkbox. We've done that now rather than... Yeah. How do we actually want our users to feel in this space and how can we create that for them? Yep, yep. Yeah. And you mentioned women in tech, all right? I know that you're very, um, very vocal about women in tech and which is- The which resident is very, banshee. Yeah, <laughs> but it's very important. I think it is. I mean, we, we work in a male dominated industry and I know firsthand, I mean, I have uh, employed uh, one of the few uh, women AV designers and and she was able to bring a totally different perspective to to our company she thought in a different way she just she had a diff completely different outlook and it really it, it really expanded our the, the way we designed and the way that we thought because when you've just got a bunch of men around a table you know you kind of all sort of tend to think in a certain direction and she was able to expand that and I I just think it's great. I think it's great for any company to be bringing women in into their, their business if you want to grow more, right? I just think it's... Uh, it, it's yeah, it's I think generally it's a bad idea to shut out half the population from wanting to work for you. Of course. Um, but also just the idea of uh, if you're having different types of users in a building, they are different yep. people. So approaching it as especially in a really niche industry like AV, as you both know, there's a really steep learning curve to join the industry. Yeah. Um, and when something's already very niche, I think the people that are very similar to each other float to the top in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and there's been a sort of thing of just keeping it the way it's always been for a long time. Yeah. Um, so after I complained about my experience at a conference last year, um, <laughs> everyone just said, oh, that's how it's always been, or you should have seen last year, or you should have seen the same conference that was in a different country. It was so much worse. But like that attitude yeah. isn't how we approach technology. You know, yeah. the whole idea of, oh, it's fine having 720p on a screen. It's fine. Yeah. They can still see it. It's fine. It's like, no, this whole industry is striving for how can we be better? How can we push this? How can we develop further? It's just really strange to me that so much of this as well is just the complete opposite of that saying, oh, no, they'll be fine. We don't need them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I did. I did some. Uh, I actually did some homework, uh, which was quite unusual for me. Uh, <laughs> coming, coming into this, some preparation. <laughs> yeah, oh, look, preparation near yeah, the five P's. So, but um, yeah. one of the things I found was 
in, there's a commercial integrator survey. It was in the States. Um, there's only 9.9% women in the integration space was there was their survey why do you think that is and why can we or what can we do to sort of change that to open up to the extra 50 percent of the population yeah i think just from personal experience av isn't always welcoming to women um that's a very polite way of saying that um <laughs> And I think it's just because there's a lot of people and they've sort of built this castle for themselves and we've worked hard to get this. We now have this, this is ours. It's shut out everyone else. And we want to continue this power structure. Even if you look at how AV people have dealt with um, AV coming under IT recently, rather than it being a general section, like people didn't want to be disrupted in any way. And even the idea of being under IT rather than under a designated AV section of an organization was really threatening to a lot of people. Um, and I think as well, combined with the fact that the industry is constantly being disrupted and then just the power structures that come along with that. I think there's a lot of identity crises happening uh, within a lot of organizations that are stressed and struggling. So yeah. that's not ideal, but even within Australia. So the office of the chief scientist really recently did um, a STEM report. So generally across science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And it's just not really getting better. So in 2006, how was it? I wrote it down. Where's my number? Yeah, in 2006, only 27% of STEM graduates were women. And then a decade later, that had only increased to 29%. Um, so that side of the situation is not good. But then additionally in this report, probably the most upsetting thing I found in there is you look at, so they got a cohort of women in STEM in 2011, and then they followed them for five years and saw how that panned out. Um, and if you look about even the one choice that it really splits up at is if they had children or not. And if they chose to have children, they, I think only 34% of them were still in full-time work okay. compared to about 80% of women who did not choose to have children. So mm -hmm. like that's such a large split. And when you look at, I think a lot of lifestyle and people of culture decisions within AV organizations, I think that's a big issue as well. And just sort of the reluctance to move to flexible working which I'm hoping COVID will really push forward now that companies have seen they can do it. Um, obviously, it shouldn't have taken a pandemic to do that, but it's good news nonetheless. I, I see, I've had a number of women um, uh, work with me over, over the years and, and I just can't believe how they um, multitask, you know, like quite often they'll be working uh, for, at home and they've got children and, and I'm like, I, I struggle if there's music going on in the background and what they're able to achieve um, is amazing, right? Like it's just, we're, we're wired differently, like men and women are wired differently. And uh, yeah, I've just, as I said, I've, I've had nothing but great experiences with, um, you know, the people that I've worked, the women that I've worked with. Sure. I don't even know so much of it if it's about being wired differently rather than having to do something and not having a choice in it. Like if you look even in the same STEM women report, um, the division of unpaid labor in the home, is so much higher for women as well. And it's just that you haven't had a choice. And even so anecdotally, when I was studying my maths degree, people just didn't believe when I was explaining a concept to them because right. they thought that I wasn't as good. So I would always have to explain things from the very first principles and then explain the whole process rather than just jumping in the point that most people would. So as a result, I had to work 10 times harder, but also I am now 10 times better at explaining concepts. 
Um, so it was terrible at the time, but it really equipped me with great skills. And I think that's the case for a lot of women that have absolutely fought tooth and nail to where they like to get where they are within the industry. Um, right. And obviously right. it's unfortunate that that's had to happen, that they've been through bad situations to get there, mm -hmm. but sure. it's great that when they can make the most of that. Wait, hang, hang on a minute. So going, when you did your degree, your maths degree, you, to explain to men, is that what you're saying? Had to, um, had to go back to the very start. You couldn't get that point where everyone just sort of trusted what you're saying from then on. Yeah, and that point of trust is really important, important as well. In the STEM Women Report, additionally, it's great. Definitely go and read it if you would like to feel depressed. But in the report as well, they <laughs> say that um, two-thirds of women have reported their voices not being valued in the workplace. So this idea of trusting someone's opinion, but then beyond that, valuing it, is really missing from within how women are perceived in all STEM workplaces, which extends to AV as well. And I think that's a reason as well of when people say, oh, we don't have any women managers because they're just not leaders. Um, whereas so some people will see a woman organizing and think that they're just organizing, they're good at the home, but then they'll see a man organizing something and then suddenly he's a leader. So this idea of thinking about different ways that people perceive what's happening with people and then how they choose to report on that within the organization. Um, this is something I talk about a lot when I was saying running from something or running to something. Yes. So if you're running towards an inclusive organization, one of the best things that you can do to take a really hard look at yourself is to look at the language in your performance reviews. Mm -hmm. um, if you're saying women, so say women's performance reviews, they come up as bossy, but maybe men's reviews will have the word leader in them or something or authority or something like that. It sounds ridiculous, but if you actually go through and look at how the performance reviews have panned out over time for different groups, you will see things like that. It's one of those things that you can't really escape. And I think just as you can see as time has changed and how the industry has moved forward, but there's still this underlying tone of that. And unless you're really to, you're really ready to have an actual conversation with the organization at large about what are we doing and how can we do this better? There's little things like that that will just keep going under the radar and it happens across all sorts of marginalized groups. So it's really important to check in with and audit yourself. Mm -hmm. I just think um, one, one, of the, one of the stats I read was 67% um, of women, and I'm specifically talking about the AV industry, fell into the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got, I got wondering, I thought, well, why is that? But then I thought to myself, well, actually, I wonder how many men fell into the AV industry. And I got, following on from that is, is that I couldn't find any data around how many men fell into the AV industry. But... Uh, I, I thought, is it just because we don't, is it, is it, we don't have decent career pathways into technology industry as a whole? Like, sure, there's some IT, there's IT pathways, but certainly in AV, there's, there's not really any clear defined pathways into this industry. Right. And, and this is something the chief scientist of Australia has been investigating for quite a while because they found out there was about 330 programs to get young people into STEM. Um, but they weren't really being assessed over time. Um, so this is something I actually started an organization last year called STEM from something um, just to show young women the opportunities that were available to them in pursuing a STEM pathway. Because I grew up, I didn't know anyone that worked in an office, let alone someone who had done a science degree that wasn't a teacher. So the concept of just showing people that there are things available to them. And this is one of the reasons I volunteer with um, National Science Week Queensland Committee. Science Week is starting this week. 
Um, but just making sure that we're showing these events to people who need them. Because I always find out that any STEM events for children are really well attended by children that don't need them. If your parent already works in STEM or in AV, they don't need to learn about the industry because they already know about it. You know, it's not reaching out to the people that had no idea and mm -hmm. hadn't considered this as a pathway. I always think yeah. about it if you buy scissors and they're in the plastic container that you need scissors to cut out of. <laughs> and there's kids and they've got their plastic container and they can't get the yeah. scissors out because they have nothing yeah. to cut them through. But then you've got kids yeah. that have already cut it through because their parents have unlocked that for them and they're ready to go and they're the ones getting the help from what's going on um, and this is something that always comes back to even in women in stem when we talk about oh why are there no women speakers and it's just because no one's there helping them cut the scissors out of their container essentially everyone's expecting them to be great ready to go and just forceful when that's probably not going to be the case if they're not feeling welcome so you think the, the need the industry need, needs to be more conscious like in in relation to speaking events right to to try and get a, a a lot more parity there because obviously a lot of these events you see there may be one female speaker right and the majority are men like do we does the industry need to do more do do we need to turn around and actually reach out to to people like yourself and other women in the industry to make sure that we have an equal number of like a, a representation of women to men at these events. Absolutely. And that's standard in almost every other industry. So the only reason I was able to speak at integrate last year was because my coworker, Kim Burgess gave up his two speaker spots. So me and Lendell Archer from my organization could also yeah. speak at integrate because he was really disappointed to see, and he didn't want to appear alongside a lineup of only mm -hmm. men because there really was bad mm -hmm. representation there. Um, it yep. shouldn't be down to people like him, although that was incredibly generous of him. It shouldn't be down to him to give up his own opportunity mm -hmm. just so I could speak. Um, but then again, it's about reaching out proactively to people because from the other side of that, if you are a young woman in AV and then you see these speaker lineups at any conference or anything like that, and it's all the same, probably 30 faces, just in different orders <laughs> with different yep. graphics around them you don't see yourself alongside those speakers because these are the speakers in the industry and this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. There's no real proactive reaching out. And then so within the tech industry at large, I've had so much support and I provide so much support to other women to help them cut themselves out of the scissor box, I guess, but yeah. to help them get into that. But it's the idea of proactively reaching out to people and especially organizations like Avixa that have a women's award every year. Mm -hmm. um, They've already found women in the industry. And then there's another organization in Australia called STEM Women. And they've gone through, and it's a government organization through the Academy of Science, I believe. And mm -hmm. women across all sorts of STEM fields in Australia can make their own profile and say if they're interested in speaking or being on a panel or advising or things like that. And it's, if you actually look, it's not hard at all to find women. It's about the mm -hmm. idea of actually looking in the first place. And that yeah. being a part of the event planning process as it is for every other industry. Yeah. And STEM's very well supported, um, certainly in, in K to 12 education these days, really. I mean, there's, there's buildings going up, STEM, new STEM buildings and different things going up left, right and centre, and certainly in right. Southeast Queensland. So. But as I've said, the rate of graduates is not increasing. So it only went up 2% over 10 years. Um, of women graduating STEM degrees. So it's one of those things that like, there's a lot of money going in, but is that actually getting through to the people that need it? Um, yeah. And this is something I have been attacking within STEM as well, just because I keep seeing so many people getting left behind. 
And it's not because the projects are badly run or they have bad intentions. It's just really hard. Um, and unless it's attacked with the idea of getting everyone on board and getting the fence sitters who maybe haven't even considered this, um, it's really important to reshaping how that actually gets through, which is the same with AV as well. I think there's a big flow through of people that maybe started as roadies or they started in live music production or all sorts of fields that are, to be honest, probably not safe for young women to be doing in a lot of areas. Um, yeah. And if you speak to women who did that when they were younger, they have some absolute horror stories to tell you. Yeah. Um, so if you look at that as one of the main tributaries to getting people into AV, it's totally understandable why more women are not choosing to put themselves in that situation. Mm-hmm. It's interesting though, Brooke. I, I, have, uh, I was reading the Women in AV uh, survey and uh, one positive, I suppose, coming from it was that uh, out of 506 people surve- women surveyed across the world, probably mostly safe to say it was UK-based, but uh, 30%, or 147 of them, uh, zero to four years in the industry. So they stayed right. in the industry for that long. Are you saying Mark? no, they're only in the, only have been in the industry for zero. Oh, to right. Four. Okay. So, yeah. And if you look uh, at that data, it doesn't better. get more positive, um, because they don't stay. Um, and this right. is across yeah. all sorts of STEM fields. Um, and it's this, this idea as well is because people say there's a pipeline problem and that's why women can't be managers because there's not enough people coming in at the front and that's why they're not progressing through to leadership positions. But that's not really the full picture as well. And you can't talk about getting people into STEM and AV without talking about keeping people in STEM and AV. Um, And I think personally, you'd both know a lot of people who maybe started out and then didn't last past about seven years um, within the industry. And that's one of the big issues that a lot of places are facing, because aside from the fact that these people are now having a career change, but the amount of knowledge loss and innovation loss that's happening in companies everywhere because they can't keep employees is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Very true. All right. Very goodly. Uh, so we should probably wrap up there, Pete. Uh, Brooke, you are, you are speaking just a, a quick plug to, to um, recap. You're speaking this week. Yes. On the, Thursday at the right. virtual speaker summit. Um, additionally, so I've been volunteering all year with the National Science Week Committee in Queensland, and that kicks off this week as well. And there's different types of events online across Australia. Um, so if you're interested in tech or if you have kids that are interested in tech, it's a great opportunity to see what's out there. Normally, there's lots of in-person events, but one of the good things this year is that a lot of it's online. So you can really click through and see what's interesting to you and your family. Is there a website that people can go to to find out more about that? Yeah, definitely. If you just Google National Science Week, so many okay. things will come up. There's a central website um, that is all there, as well as Inspiring Queensland. Um, both are linked right. on my LinkedIn with some spotlight events happening in Queensland. All right. Fantastic. Well, hit Brooke up on LinkedIn, get connected. And you also mentioned something about you, you, you have a, a website as well. Yeah, it's just brookjamison.co um, okay. for my regular stuff. Otherwise, yeah, just contact me on LinkedIn. Okay, great. All right. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on the show, Brooke. Uh, it, it's been very insightful. You are by far the most intelligent person we've had on the show and probably will ever have on the show. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Brooke. Yeah. I'm not sure no, to say no, thank you to that. No insult to the, <laughs> the previous people. <laughs> no, no, no. no but, and, and look, we need to, I, I agree. We, the industry, our industry, the tech industry, the AV industry, 
uh, all industries for that matter, we, we need to get out there and encourage women to, to be a part of it, you know, and uh, encourage them, like create opportunities for women because yeah. as I said, I, I know firsthand that it, it certainly enhanced uh, my business and, um, you know, they bring a lot to the table. So, I, I, and I don't right. think that we do enough. And it's about having an honest conversation, but also a constructive conversation. I think a lot of people, they realize how bad the situation is and then they say, oh, we can't do anything to fix this. It's too far gone, Um, which is precisely the wrong thing to do. So have an honest conversation. Um, Understand people as people when they're talking to you. Don't just think about, oh, what do women want? What does this individual person want? And then see how you can constructively grow and change from that. Um, and then if you really attack it with that mindset, it will be a lot more effective than if you're just really scared and end up running from, we don't want this. Like think about specifically what you would like to run, th- run to and then where you are now, where you want to be and how you can get there over time is really important. And I love the scissor analogy. That is amazing. Next yeah. time you see them at the shop, every time it's I so see true. them, it's I just know. like... Very relatable. <laughs> Am I going to... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Brooke, thanks so much for coming on the show. We're going to wrap it up. And uh, Pete? We'll talk to you again next week. And um, hit Brooke up. Don't forget, everyone, to hit Brooke up on LinkedIn and, and uh, get in touch. She's doing some great work. Cool. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Thank no you. worries. Thank, Thank you, Brooke. Cheers, guys. All Bye right. for now. Bye.